You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. That is page 871 in the church Bible. If you don't own a church Bible, or if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. Matthew 16, verse 21. We're starting a new series, a four-part series. It's called The Triumphant King. We really want you to get excited about Easter. So for the next two Sundays and then Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, we are going to talk about just how awesome Jesus is. But let's read from verse 21 to verse 25 together. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but of human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Let's pray. Lord God, we believe you're real. We believe that you really came 2,000 years ago, that historically, even the, the secular people would say, you were here, that the Son of God came. We believe that you died for us. We believe that you rose again. We believe that you're seated out of the right hand of your Father. and We believe that you're coming back to get us someday and to deal with all the evil that we see. Lord, would you turn our hearts to what you're saying? Would you help us to understand? Would you uh, open the eyes of our heart and give us insight? And show us, Lord, how this applies to our lives today, us living in 2023 in Canada. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it has been about three years uh, from Jesus' first public appearance uh, when he appeared uh, to John the Baptist at the Jordan River. Uh, Jesus, I'm talking about at the text in Matthew 16, is about 30 years old uh, when he appeared the first time. Now he's about 33 years old. And when he first appeared, there was only a couple people who actually knew who he was. His mother Mary uh, knew who he was. Uh, Joseph had died at that time. Uh, John the Baptist knew who he was because he was Jesus' cousin. But besides that, Jesus had lived for 30 years with nobody really knowing who he was. The Son of God grew up a regular Jewish boy, a a poor boy living under religious oppression from the Pharisees, living under uh, governmental oppression from both Herod and the Romans. 
He had even escaped genocide and was living as a refugee for a number of years in Egypt. God knew what it was to be human. Isaiah the prophet who talked about uh, the coming Messiah 600 years before would say this in Isaiah 53 verse 2. But he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no stately form or majesty to attract us, no beauty that we should desire him. That was God who came as a man to experience what it was to be human, what it was to be ignored, what it was to be hated and oppressed. And yet, he was without sin. So then he first appears on the scene. Matthew records it in uh, chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee at John to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you have come to me. Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. This wasn't the first time uh, that, or this wasn't going to be the last time that Jesus would surprise people with his words. So now in our text, it's three years later from that point. Three years of healing has taken place. Three years of preaching has taken place. Three years of loving and casting out evil. If you look in the chapter before verse or 16, in chapter 15, verse 29, we, we get a little picture of what was happening in the days leading up to our verses. It says in verse 29, moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up the mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those who were unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed, and they saw those unable to speak talking, and the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. And then Jesus goes on to feed the 4,000 men plus their families. Then he goes on, if you read more of chapter 15 and early on into 16, he goes on to slam the religious hypocrites, the religious leaders, uh, his enemies. The people are pumped at this point. The people are, are primed. The masses are ready to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. Viva la revolution, they're shouting. Jesus is famous throughout the land. And everyone has an idea of who this Superman is is. They all have an idea of why he's come in their own minds. For some, this guy was sent by God to heal their infirmities. For some, this guy had been sent by God to provide for them food because they were living hand to mouth. For some, he was the, the prophet to come. For some, he was the Messiah. 
The one who would set them free from the oppression of not only the demons, but the Romans. And then we read in chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, and some say John the Baptist, uh, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, the overconfident, uneducated oaf that he was, got it right, or at least he got it partially right. He knew who he was, but still, as we'll find out, he was mistaken as to why Jesus had come. So as the news spread throughout the countryside, everyone was talking, speculating, coming to Jesus, leaving their jobs, their their families to come and see this man. And as they would come, they would come with their assumptions based off of what was important to them. So if they or somebody they loved was sick, well, then Jesus must be here to heal us from our sicknesses. Or if they, and most of them would have been, and most of us would be poor, well, then Jesus must be here to provide for us. Or if, if they were uh, freedom-loving people, and, well, Jesus must be here to keep our freedoms, or get us some freedoms. Uh, see, everyone had an idea of who God was, and, and to be honest, not much has changed. Most people have an idea of who God is, if they believe in a God, and what God's priorities should be. Even you, you have assumptions on what God should be focusing on. And most likely, it's lined up to what you deem to be important. So if money is always on your mind, well, then God should provide for you. He should prosper you. If health is always on your mind, which it is for so many Canadians, uh, then God must protect you from all illnesses and sicknesses and heal you so you can live an easy, comfortable life. If freedom and rights are important to you, well then, God must protect your freedom and rights at all costs. But Jesus is asking the same question to them that he's asking us today. Who do you believe that I am? And why do you believe that I've come? That's what we want to focus on as Easter approaches. On the primary reason that God came to this earth. That he sent his son Jesus to this earth. The main reason, the dominant reason, the high calling. Did Jesus heal people then and does the Holy Spirit heal people now? Sure it does. We've seen some miraculous healings over the last seven years here. People that should be dead got more life when we laid hands and prayed on them. The doctors couldn't explain why. Even my own son, who was sick and sick kids, and they couldn't figure it out, and God healed them. That's not the main reason, the dominant reason why Jesus came to this earth. Did Jesus provide for them supernaturally? And does God the Father provide for us here now? Sure. 
There's an abundant number of reasons why we can give thanks to God for all the things he's given us today. But that's not his main priority for interacting with humanity. Then we pick it up in our main text, Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary, don't miss that word, for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes to be killed and to be raised on the third day. What? Imagine the the ridiculousness of this statement. Jesus is at the apex of his popularity. His favor with the people is at its zenith. And now, after three years of doing all this miraculous things, Jesus drops a morale bomb on the disciples and says, I'm going to go to the capital city and I'm going to suffer. I'm not going to suffer a little bit. I'm going to suffer horribly. At the hands of the very people... uh, that are oppressing this nation, then I'm going to die. Then I'm going to be raised up. But it's like they didn't hear that last part. It's like it passed in through one ear and out the others. Can you imagine the faces of the disciples? The laughter subsides. The cheering is stifled. The excitement is quelled. And everyone sort of stops. What? Peter steps forward. The very one who a few minutes ago was the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in verse 22, it says, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will not happen to you. This will not happen to you. The news wasn't sitting very well with Peter. See, it didn't fit into Peter's life plan. He had thought God was coming back to overthrow the Romans and cast out the religious hypocrites and set up a new kingdom that would be greater than David's and Solomon's kingdoms combined. And of course, set up the 12 Apostles as the new 12 governors of the regions of Israel. How many times have you rebuked God because he didn't do things the way you thought he should? How many times can you look back on your life and see a time when you took God aside and scolded him for the way your life had turned out or or for him not doing what you thought he should do? Peter, like many of us, was confused, mistaken as to why God had come to this earth. And and Peter, think of this, now finds himself trying to convince God that God should do what Peter wants God to do. Does that sound familiar to any of us? It seems that Peter had been missing the part of Jesus rising again, because why would Jesus die just to rise again? That's ridiculous. Peter didn't get it. Verse 23, Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
you're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Ladies and gentlemen, the fundamental problem in the world is sin. It, sin, affects all aspects of your life. It permeates every orifice of the created earth. It was brought on by humanity and it has corrupted the earth. And although there are many great and wonderful things we can experience in the earth, sin has its grips in every part of the world. Sin is the reason why Jesus came. It started when the first humans chose to do the opposite of what God had told them to do. And it's repeated every time a human rejects the truth and does what is right in their own eyes. Sin. Every rape, every murder, theft, assault, mean words spoken, adulterous spouse, gossiping lips, neglected child, blasphemed word, disobedient child, sexually immoral act, ungrateful heart. Every time somebody points their middle finger at God in his created beings, it's sin. It's the problem. And some of you might say, well, God created us to be able to sin, so it's his fault. Well, that's a good question to wrestle with. My uh, younger son, Levi, he has this robot uh, that it's a remote-controlled robot, and it has the robot voice, and, and so when he presses the button, it rises up and it says, what should I do for you, master? Something like that. And then it has different commands, and, and he can turn it, and he can make it crouch, and he can make it go forward, backwards, and so on and so forth. It has these discs that it shoots out, and, and his main goal in life is to ambush his older brother uh, with the discs uh, when he's coming out of his room. The robot does whatever the controller tells it to do. And God could have made us like robots. And we wouldn't sin. But we would be robots. We would simply act out, carry out whatever we were told to. We wouldn't have the ability to love. We wouldn't have the ability to choose. And so God gave us choice. And because of that, there is sin. And sin is the problem. And because there is sin, the world calls out for justice, for payment for the sin. And you know, we all have our different ideas of what justice is and, and what sin or what payment should be made for sin. I remember reading about this politician who is, I believe, a member of the New York Senate. Um, so part of the state uh, government, and she was a big campaigner in uh, low consequences for criminals when they, they do violent acts and, and easy parole and, and sort of the catch and release um, act, and, and she wasn't very fond of the police, not, not individual police officers, but the whole idea of police, that they were evil and corrupt. And then I read that uh, this... Uh, the state senator was at a stoplight and somebody came up and opened the door and hauled her out at gunpoint and stole her car. And do you know who she called right away? The police. 
for justice because now it affected her directly and now she wanted somebody to do something about it. And isn't that so like us? I'll just let this go, God. What's the big deal, God? But when it affects us, oh God, why have you not interceded in this? And how we tend to sometimes scold God like Peter did when he doesn't do what we say he should do. But yet how we so call on him when we need him to do things for us. But God had resolved to do something about sin. That was his main point for coming. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it but to save it through him. The resolve of Jesus was to deal with the sin of the world. It superseded the concerns of the apostles. It trumped what the masses wanted Jesus to do. You can see the concern of Jesus in his response to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. It's pretty harsh, don't you think? Jesus needs to brush up on his sensitivity training. I don't think he would be very welcomed in most of our churches. So why the response? Well, because Jesus knew who was affecting Peter's mind. Peter was thinking as Satan thinks. And Satan loves a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Satan loves a world where people reject the idea of an inherent right or wrong, an absolute truth. And he loves a world that says, I'll do what's good for me, even if it affects that person negatively. And that's what Peter was thinking like. I remember watching this debate uh, with a pastor, apologist named Ray Comfort, and he was debating um, an atheist a woman, and they were sitting across from each other, and, and uh, the debate was on truth and whether there was an ultimate truth or if truth was rel- relative. And so she was making the argument that, that there is no ultimate, since there's no God, there is no truth, and that truth is relative. And so uh, no one should impose, not a God, not a, another person, their version of truth on another person. That what's right for that person may be not right for them or this person, and they, everyone just has to live out their truth. And so Ray brilliantly, I still remember this, he reached across while the woman was making her argument to the crowds, grabbed her purse, which was sitting beside her chair, reached over, opened it up, and started to root through it. And she's just talking, and then she stops. And she says, what are you doing? Forgetting the crowd was there. And he says, I'm seeing what you have in your purse and seeing if there's anything I want. She says, you can't do that. That's mine. He said, who are you to tell me that I can't do that? I've determined that I can, so don't impose your truth on me. And she was just silent. Her whole argument had been busted down. And see, God is the determiner of truth, what is right and what is wrong. And God came to deal with the penalty of us, humanity, breaking God's moral truth. 
You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but of human concerns. You're thinking about yourself, Peter. Peter, I love you. But that's the problem with this world. Everyone's thinking about themselves. No one's concerned with what God is concerned with. And God is concerned with us knowing him and being in right relationship with him and us loving other people as ourselves. But we're concerned with what is important to us. So for some of us, we're mad at God. We're mad at him. Because he didn't stop that thing that we think he should have stopped. Some of us, we're mad at God because he hasn't given us what we think he should give us. But we have to ask ourselves, are we concerned with the things of God or are we only thinking as we think is right? The resolve of Jesus was to deal with the consequences of our sin. That is what Easter is about. Uh, To give us a way, to provide us a way to be free from the power of sin so that although things are going bad out there, we can step out of that darkness and live in freedom and live as people who are set free. And as Easter comes, I, I want you to enjoy your day off work if you get one. I want you to enjoy the big Easter dinner with all the fixings. I want you to enjoy the sweet chocolate. There are so many things that I want you to enjoy that God has given you. I want you to thank him and praise him for those things. But let us not forget. Let us remember why Jesus came, the primary reason to suffer for our sin, to make a way for us to be made right with God, to enter into relationship with him, to be changed while we live on this earth and have an eternity that is perfect and without sin. Peter reminds of this, of, this of, of this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for the sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Well, here it is. That, we might, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. God had resolved. He'd made up his mind. This was the only plan, to suffer, not for the sins of one person, but for the sins of all humanity. To allow the way for any person to have access to God. Don't need to go through a priest, just need to go through the Son. You know, you'll seldom find a person in our culture anymore who will give themselves for somebody else. Seems like so many people are out for numero uno. Sometimes you find a person like Ben Salomon uh, who would give himself for many. He was a a Medal of Honor winner. And if you know, that is the highest uh, medal that a person can win. You usually have to die for it. Ben was a dentist uh, in world, when World War II started, and he uh, requested to join. And as it was nearing the end of the war, they were losing out, met, a lot of medics had died because the Japanese were targeting the medics. And so Ben uh, decided or volunteered to be a paramedic for the infantry. And as the Americans were taking back the islands from the control of the Japanese, um, they took one and they knew the Japanese needed to get it back, so the Japanese were going to hit them hard. 
And so usually the, the medics or the, the field hospitals would set up in the rear, away from the front lines. But Ben resolved that he was going to set up his tent right off the beach, right where the fighting would be. And so the infantrymen set up their defensive positions on the beach, and Ben set up a tent just behind them. And as the history books write, as the counterattack started, the Japanese poured on, uh, they started to have breaks in the line, and they, the fighting was so intense that uh, Ben was taking care of 30 patients at the same time that he was shooting Japanese as they were running in the tent to kill the wounded soldiers performing surgery at the same time as fighting. But then the station was soon overwhelmed. Their defenses fell from the Japanese. There was so many Japanese, the history books tell us, that they were forced to give up their positions at the beach. And, and Ben ordered the medics, the rest of the medics, to get the wounded soldiers out. And he stayed behind to fight. This dentist. The last living memory of Ben was him taking over the machine gun after the gunner had died. He managed to take out 98 Japanese enemies. His body was riddled with 76 bullet holes. He took the bullets that were designed for 76 other people. He fought off the forces of evil while at the same time saving people's lives. He was a man of resolve. He had determined what was going to be important in his life. But God had resolved not just to take 76 lashings for 76 people's lives, but to take upon himself the punishment for everything we have ever done, every sinful act upon himself and suffer physically and emotionally and spiritually in a way that no human being has ever suffered. While at the same time, saving us and taking upon our sin, he was fighting against the forces of evil, pushing them back so that Satan will never have claim on your souls. He saved billions. That's what we remember at Easter. That regardless of what happens in Ukraine, regardless of what happens with China in the next couple of years, or whether the banking sector holds up, or whether the climate keeps getting worse, the most important thing that we reflect on this Easter is that God made a way for humans to be in right relationship with him, to be freed from the penalty and the power of sin. And that is the greatest news this world has to offer. We have been ushered in to glorious light and given freedom. He resolved to die for you and for I. But that's not the only thing God resolved to do. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 for I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And God not only resolved to give himself for us on the cross, he resolves to not give up on you. That's a great feeling for a, a mess up like me. 
God will not give up on me. The good work he has started in me and in you, he's going to see it through until the end. So for parents who struggle and feel like a failure, and you feel like, oh, I, I am just a disaster, God is not finished with you. God will get you through it. God will give you what you need. For those of you who are just struggling in a marriage and you're, you just never thought it would be so hard and you just feel like a failure as a spouse, God who began a good work in you will see it through. Don't give up. He's not finished with you yet. For you youth that look at the world and, and you're like, oh, wh- what kind of a world is this that I'm growing up in? And where's my hope? And where do I fit in? And how am I going to navigate this? God is with you. What a tremendous gift. You're not walking blindly through this world. He will lead you through it. For those of you who struggle with addictions, whatever kind of addiction, and and you just do well for a while and then you fail, and well for a while and you fail, and you're just like, I'm no good. Nothing is ever going to free me from this. God who began a good work in you will give you victory. At some point in your life, it will no longer have its hold on you. I am living proof of that. That's not the only thing he resolved to do. He's resolved to use you. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You and me. He's sending. Uh, God resolves to die for us, to take the penalty of our sin. He's resolved to finish the good work he started us in us, and he's resolved to give us a purpose in this world. <laughs> I don't know what more you could ask for. We should be the most thankful, overjoyed people in the entire world. We have hope in Jesus. We have purpose in Jesus that he wants you, you, regardless of where you are, to live a simple life, a supernatural simple life in the, whatever context your life is, to magnify God, to let him live through you, to, to be something that people stop and say, oh, what is it about that man? What is it about that woman? There's something different about them to live for his concerns. It's a great thing. What a hope we have in Jesus that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will by no means cast us away. So then in closing, how shall we respond, church? How about with our own fresh resolve? Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. How do we respond to the great message of Easter? How about we resolve to follow after Christ, to not always be looking to our own concerns, to what we need or what we feel we need, 
How about we look to the concerns of God first? How about we look to the concerns of each other? How about us men? We stop bickering uh, uh, that our wives aren't perfect and we devote ourselves to, to sacrificing ourselves for their sake as a demonstration of Christ sacrificing himself for the church. How about us parents? We, we stop chasing after all the, the dreams and the things we think we need. And how about we invest and love these kids and, and show the, the love of Jesus Christ and the discipline of the Father to these children? How about we as a church stop bickering with each other and fighting all the time about silly things and concern ourselves with what Jesus says is important. The people out there who don't have a hope, who don't know the great news of Easter, who think that the Easter is about chocolate and bunnies. How about we have a fresh resolve to live and follow our Lord until we see him face to face someday? I'm going to pray. And if you want to be prayed for at the end, if, if you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, if you want God's purpose in your life, if, if you just want somebody to pray for you in your struggles, we'll be up here. The elders will be up here and we want to pray for you. But God, how wonderful a news it is that you came to this earth. I can't believe it, Lord, that God became a man and put off his godliness, to live as one of us and to take upon yourself. I, I think of all my sins, Lord. I think of all the things that I've done and said, all the things that nobody knows about. And, and the thought of you taking the punishment for that is overwhelming. But to think that you took the punishment of everyone's sins, that's unbelievable. Would you help us, Lord, to really get that? Would you help us to have joy in that? That this Easter we would not allow uh, bickering family members or, or what's going on in the world to kill the joy uh, that we should have with what you've done in this world and what you're doing inside of us now. Would you give us hope for the future? Would you help us to resolve to follow you until the end? We ask these things knowing that we are totally dependent on you and all you're looking for is for us to commit. We have faith in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.